Life Happens is the podcast brought to you by 87%, the innovative digital platform that uses clinically designed assessments to make mental health tangible, allowing businesses and individuals to measure, understand and improve their mental well-being. Hello, everyone. I'm James Gwinnett, endurance athlete and the marketing director of 87%. And in this series, I have the enviable job of speaking to inspirational people from the worlds of adventure, business, intelligence, the military, sports, and more. Getting their take on life's ups and downs, the setbacks that they've overcome, and how they've dealt with failure to get to the pinnacle of their sectors, all with the aim of helping you build positive mental health. Now, this week, we have an absolute cracking guest for you, uh, a perfect fit for National Workouts and Wellbeing Week, because as the Head of Exercise Wellness at Virgin Active, she knows pretty much everything there is to know about workouts and well-being. I met this absolute ball of energy uh, in Chile. We both took on the brutal Channel 4 show, SAS Who Dares Wins, and I was blown away by her, her strength, bearing in mind she's, she's about half my size, um, but was made for two weeks to carry a Bergen the same, same weight as mine. She also has a wonderful story of overcoming the odds, going from being told that she would never walk again to running marathons and being a very well-respected personal trainer. You will struggle to find a more positive person. I'm delighted to welcome to Life Happens, Esme Gummer. Thank you so much. I want to like get that recording, have it as my alarm. <laughs> so every morning when I wake up, that's my intro. <laughs> we, we, can, we can do that. We could do a, like a, a positive... Yeah. This is this is Esme. Welcome to the world every day. Imagine every morning when you wake up, you just get entered to the world with that. What what a vibe. Everyone should do that anyway, I think. So it's a bit like this is your life. So <laughs> here, here we go. First and foremost, as 87% is we're obviously a mental health platform. So it's important to ask, how are you? I'm great. I feel very good. Um it's it's it is nice to ask that question. And I think we always answer with the same thing, like, yeah, good, you? I used to do that all the time, you know. I used to always, anytime I was asked anything, I'd say, yeah, you? So I didn't have to answer. And it was something that I tried not to deter, you know, deter from any awkward questions. And it generally was, how are you? And I go, yeah, good, you? And just quickly put it back on them because I was like, don't want to talk about it. Um, but genuinely, I'm feeling great. Genuinely, not pretending. Delighted to hear it. Yeah, there's a there's a funny, I like I like that sort of def, that concept of deflection. You know, yeah. Being asked how you, why why do we have this this problem with speaking about how how we are? I mean, there's this obviously the stigma of of, of mental health. We we find it hard. We'll, we'll we'll come on to the importance importance of it. But it's it's a bizarre thing that we that we're we're unable. We, we want to sort of push it back in, in in someone else's direction. Yeah, get rid of it quick. Yeah. <laughs> So you've you've got a, a wonderful story of of overcoming adversity. Let, let's go. We'll go through the, the, the various parts of it, um, but let's wind the clock back first to when you were in your your, your late teens, I suppose. Child, you know, childhood. What were your what were your aspirations? For me, I just always wanted to be a dancer. That's all I ever remember, um, or like an athlete. Like I always wanted. I was very sporty. I love dancing. I love movement, but. For as long as I can remember, I remember I remember the day saying to my mum, I know what I want to be when I'm older, I want to be a dancer. Uh, when I was probably about 12, I remember having that conversation and my mum sort of saying, all right, well, we better sort of figure out how you're going to do that, you know, because I wasn't even really in dance school uh, properly. Um, so I spent, you know, from the age of 12 to 18, training to train to be a dancer, like training to just, get a place to train to be a dancer which yeah. was mad and I mean there's obviously I mean there's obviously so much sort of energy required and there's a huge amount of positivity and in, in dance and, and 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 with exercise comes slightly more you know it's like obviously relationship between exercise and positive mm. mental health but you you hit a roadblock mm. aged 18 I believe yeah 18 it's, it's, it's funny actually that you say, oh, 18, because I'd actually only just turned 18 by a month. So, and that, that was quite a crucial part of my journey, that, that, that difference between being 17 and 18. And the reason being, so, so what happened was um, I was due to start dance college and I had a hernia in my groin. So I went to get it fixed. 
And uh, it's just a very simple operation. It's like a day up. You literally go in, pop it back in, you go home. And um, I had some sort of reaction to the drugs they gave me, the anaesthetic or the anti-sickness drug. And it caused seizures, which left me paralyzed from waist down. And the reason that the age thing is, is such a crucial part of, of my journey is had it have happened a month previous when I was 17, I would have been considered, or, a, you know, yeah, a month, I would have been considered a child and I would have been put on a children's ward. So my recovery through it would have happened from a child's perspective. But because I turned 18 by one month, I was considered an adult, which I found really difficult to, to say because I was like, I'm not an adult. Like I'm still really young and I need my parents. And when you're an adult, you can't have your parents stay on the ward with you. They have to leave at 9 p.m. And when you're an adult, you're surrounded by adults. And an adult is anything from 18 up to 100 years old. So. I was on a ward with, you know, really poorly, you know, old women with dementia. And it was, it was so sad and actually quite traumatic to see happening around me and not being able to move. Um, so had I been on the children's ward, I obviously would have had a parent with me 24 hours a day. And I suppose I would have been treated as a child and I would have, you know, had younger children around me. And I wonder how that would have empowered me in a different way. I don't know. Um, but I also like feel grateful for that because I think it helped the recovery actually better. I think had I been on a children's ward, I maybe would have gone down that, that child route of help me, take care of me, do it for me. And maybe I wouldn't have had the same outcome. Whereas being an adult and being surrounded by adults and being left to act as an adult, I really had to take a lot of it in my own hands from 9 p.m. till 9 a.m. the next day, it was just me. And I wasn't necessarily sleeping because you can't really sleep. You just always, sitting down you're not really bothered about sleep so yeah my recovery being 18 was I suppose uh, a gift in a way that I was an adult and forced to act as an adult I mean what went through your mind apart from perhaps I want my mum when the doctors told you that you would never walk again I just like the, the the hardest thing about like the journey with it was it wasn't as if I'd had an accident and then woke up and I was like very like um, like conscious and they'd gone, Esme, you've had an accident, you've woke up, you paralyzed this and you're like, wow, the shock. For me, because I'd seizured, I actually was very, um, I had some like, the, I had like brain, um, like mem- short-term memory loss. I had problems with my speech. I had problems with my motor skills in my hands, couldn't move my fingers and, you know, things like that. And what actually happened was everything, the only way I can describe it is like sobering up from being drunk, right? That's the only way I can describe this experience was because I knew I was paralyzed, but very gradually knew it didn't hit me. It wasn't suddenly like you're paralyzed. And I was like, (gasps) I grew each day realizing it and getting more and more conscious. So what happened was uh, you know, my memory started coming back and, and my speech started coming back and my motor skills started coming back and then from waist down didn't. And that's when it kind of was a bit like, well, what's happening here? You know, they'd seen such a progression over three days and then it just stopped for the next week. And you're waiting, you almost imagined it was like going through your body. So like heads back, mouths back, hands back. Do you know what I mean? So then you were like, okay, waiting, waiting, waiting. So I suppose that's where like faith was was lost because it kind of was like, we don't know why it's happened. We don't know what's happened, particularly. They didn't know if I'd had a spinal injury, so I had to have scans. They didn't know if I'd had a stroke at one point. They thought maybe she's had a stroke while she was under. They couldn't work out what had happened, why it happened, and how to get out of the other side of it. But did, so that, that, it, did that make it more frustrating for you? It was, but... What, what the most frustrating part, James, was when I weren't allowed to try to do anything because I was always like, you know, growing up being active and I was very determined and I wanted to be a dancer. So I had that naturally, that gift of determination and what's the problem? Let's fix it. I always had that. And the frustra- the most frustrating part was between day three and day seven when they wouldn't even let me try because they needed to tick everything off first. They needed to have a brain scan, have a spine scan. They needed to do everything first because they couldn't just go, okay, yeah, let's get her up, move her into a wheelchair. Imagine if I'd damaged my spinal cord and it just took one movement that, wow, we've, we've blown it. So for me, the frustrating bit was the not feeling mentally I was back and ready, but they wouldn't allow me to try 
And all I wanted to do was try and start swinging my legs around. Do you know what I mean? And there were things that I like tried doing on my own. I'd sit and try and move my feet in the bed and like, obviously it didn't work, but I was con constantly trying. But the minute they gave me that like green light, it was like game time for me. I was like, right, let's go. You know, I was getting myself into the wheelchair myself and learning how to lift my legs and learning what to do in case I wasn't, wouldn't walk, you know? So, I mean, I can, I can only imagine the, you know, obviously going from such, being such a, uh, an energetic person to, to that, you know, sort of being debilitated, I, I suppose. Mm. The, I can only imagine the frustration of, of not, you know, day seven comes and the doctor's like, right, off you go yeah wanting to run around the room but not yeah. being able to so obviously there's a you know a huge amount of mental frustration mm. that must have been you know, it must have impacted you at yeah. That time. yeah and you know that was the side of it was the most challenging it was it wasn't necessarily you know I, I was learning to walk on parallel bars and you know, it made me really faint and made me feel very unwell because I'd be pushing myself up and putting so much effort into, you know, like James, I was learning, I remember I was learning to walk without feeling the floor because my feet were still numb. I couldn't feel the floor, but I wanted to do it. I didn't want to wait for the feeling to come back in my feet to then start doing it. I'm like, what can I be doing? So I was using parallel bars and using my hips to drag, and it, there's videos of my feet just dragging along the floor and you think that's not right. You know, like that probably isn't how I should have done it, but I didn't want anything more than to just do everything I could. And I remember playing um, Wii, they used to make you play, you know, Wii, play bowling. Yep. And I mean, that was like heartbreaking. I think that's maybe even on video somewhere that my dad recorded somewhere on a Nokia. Um, but like bowling and it just guttable, 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 because my, you know, you have to have a center of gravity to bowl. And that's why the Wii picks up on that. And wow. I didn't have it. But even trying to stand and move my arm, I'm like, you know, it, that was like the mo one of the most frustrating things and really heartbreaking to visually see a bowling ball going into a gutter and it had such a different connotation to me like that to me was failure because I was watching this you know bowling ball go into the gutter every time and the the mental side of it was was a lot harder than the physical because the physical was just black and white you can't walk you can't walk the mental side of it was the most frustrating part and the hardest part because I never knew how I was going to feel. I never knew how I was going to feel at 9pm, 2am when I was in re like rehabilitation practice, when I was in physio, like I never knew what I was going to get that day. And it was actually quite interesting because I actually changed physios. I, I had two really lovely women and then it, we, I wasn't getting anywhere. I wasn't getting anywhere. I wasn't making any progress. And then this this woman, this other woman came in, she just comes to my bed one morning and she's like, I'm working with you now. And she was hard as nails, right? And they've obviously gone, right, let's go for a different tactic. Cause you know, and I remember her coming in and I remember her going, right, get up then, get in your wheelchair, like sort of thing, like sh do it then. And then she's going, right, stand up. And I'm going, I, I like, I can't stand up yet. Like I remember saying, I can't do that bit yet. She stand up. And I tried to do it and it didn't end very well. Like I, I collapsed back down. And then I think she'd gone, right, yeah, she's, you know, bugger. Do you know what I mean? She'd gone, yeah, right, this is the situation we're in. Because I suppose from their point of view, they didn't know maybe if I was afraid to try or I wasn't pushing myself hard enough or I was getting stuck in that way. So she was like this test that came in and then it was almost like she'd gone, okay, yep, she's paralyzed. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, how, how did you not think, oh, I can't be bothered with this anymore? You know, how do you find that continual motivation to make those tiny, yeah. tiny gains? She had a massive impact on it. And to be fair, she was very tough love and she was really hard on me. And actually, when I left, she cried. I remember her crying as I, you know, left. And I actually left in a wheelchair. I, di I didn't leave completely like walking again. I left in a, in a wheelchair. And I remember going down the ward and her really crying and she had a massive impact on it because I remember the first day I met her, I found her horrendous. I thought she was evil and I cried my eyes out, you know, afterwards. And I think she maybe did think to herself, that was a bit harsh, do you know what I mean? But I think she did it because she wanted to check that I, I definitely was trying, do you know what I mean? And I cried so much and I rang my mum and I was distraught about it. But then 
I suppose that's where I found out what motivated me and it is tough love. And in that moment, I was like, these other women were so caring. But then again, the progress wasn't any different, to be fair. When I look at it, at the end of the day, I was paralyzed. Do you know what I mean? It, it wasn't, she didn't change the physiology of it. She just changed my mindset and made me want it 10 times more. Even if my progress was exactly the same as with the other two women, she just made me want to prove to her I could do it, if that makes sense. But it didn't change the quickness. <laughs> no, it makes absolute sense. I mean, I, I suppose you. I suppose she enabled you to turn what is obviously a, a huge negative mm. into a, a huge positive. In that, yeah. actually, I, I am. You know, and she's obviously testing you to find how yeah. willing you are to put that hard work in. Yeah. But then perhaps that reinforced to yourself the fact that you were willing to put that hard work in and that you could make those those small gains and, yeah. and make the progress necessary. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's again interesting about my age because I was treated as an adult. Sorry. Um but in this is just the life of at home, isn't it? Oh, right. <laughs> it's so organic. Uh, the will um, cut out in a minute and oh yeah it's great out. you need a little barking dog and like a ding dong of the door don't you just to keep uh, and like an email notification or whatever it is um but yeah interestingly i wonder if i was 17 and on the children's board if i'd have actually have had her who i would have got and how my rehab would have worked I, and that's really interesting as well that's fascinating how it's a sort of sliding doors moment, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you're not sure which way or you're yeah. going to go. But, and I'll but, tell you what as well, when you say that sliding doors, I, one thing I always remember is when I left the hospital, I remember the doctor saying to me, if you hadn't have wanted to walk, you wouldn't have. And, I, and that stayed with me forever. He was like, if you decided no, you wouldn't have walked again. And that's because he, I, I could have just not. I could have, honestly, I could have just not because my legs were numb, my feet were numb, I could have, and naturally what would have happened if I had not moved, uh, you know, someone could make themselves immobile from never move out of choice, you know, like sit, if I sat down for 10 years not moving, believe, I'm thinking I can't move, I just wouldn't, it wouldn't have come back, do you know what I mean? Of course not, decisions, well it's the power of the mind isn't it? Yeah, and massively, that always stayed with me. Decisions are so important and yeah. from from that, was it was it an active decision then to become a personal trainer or did you fall into it as part of the rehab process, having gone through the, the sort of physio element? What was the... Yeah, I think, it, to be honest, it was when I look back. So I spent like, obviously when I got out of hospital, I still was like in a wheelchair and um, had like rehab and stuff like that. And then I got offered disability allowance and my brother is disabled and can't work. And I know he'd do anything to be able to work. He's got special needs. And I um, remember thinking, I can't do it. I just can't take disability allowance because I am able. I just am not very strong on my legs yet. So I thought, well, what can I do? And this was actually, and I'm not going to skip this bit out because it sounds like I'm just like so positive and like, yeah, then I got a job, then I this. But actually, when I got out of hospital, I had like probably the darkest two months of my life. And if I, I was in a really bad place, like really, really demotivated and just so resentful of anyone and all my friends that went to dance college. And it, it was sickening, like how I felt the jealousy. I'd never felt jealousy like it. It made me ill with jealousy. I couldn't look at my friends on Facebook at dance college because I should have been there. And um, I spent two months. I just couldn't do anything. I didn't want to get up. I remember my mum would go into work and come back and be like, what have you done? And I'm like, nothing. I've just laid out. So after that sort of two months, this is when the disability allowance thing happened. And that's why I always remember that day because I'm going to tell the truth. I started filling in the form online mm. and I stopped myself. And I remember as I was filling it in and I was answering these questions, I just thought, this doesn't feel right. It's not sitting right with me. And I exited out of it. And that was the moment that I was like, I need to do something. So I got a job working in an office because I thought, well, I don't need to use my legs to work in an office. I can just sit down. And it literally was an office, nine to five sit admin job. And I did that and, and I love movement and I've always loved movement. So I um, 
I was like, what am I going to do? So I started taking my level two fitness qualification online. So I took that while I was working in an office job. And the minute I was able to take the practical, meaning I could do all the exercises and demo them, I quit and went and took it. So that's how I got into fitness because I, that was my motivation. I was like, I will work this job sitting down until I can't, don't need to sit anymore and I can move. And then I took my level two and then from there straight into my level three personal training. I took an apprenticeship and immediately I just had this like desire because I thought I took my fitness qualification because I love movement and being active and working out. But now I understand that I took that because I wanted to help other people and I wanted to show people who thought they couldn't do anything, do something and not just be paralyzed and learn to walk again, just anything. You think a lot of the time people in my industry do become fitness instructors and personal trainers because they love exercise and that's the wrong reason. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at why I did, I know for sure it was because I couldn't bear the thought of anyone thinking they couldn't do something and I wanted to help that. And more so as time went on and I evolved in my role as a personal trainer, it was how I could help people use fitness to mold their and shape their life outside of the gym. And that's where a lot of it comes from. It was a lot of it was to do with, yeah, that side of it of how I believe that how you act in your workouts, how you act in the outside world and how they run parallel. So really I wasn't, helping people get body goals and fitness goals. I was helping them grow their mind muscle using exercise. Wow. I mean, first of all, thank you for sharing that, that story, because it's, I mean, I I suppose it's, you know, these moments of clarity, these epiphany moments that, 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 you know, send us on, you know, you know, you've got your fork in the road, which one do you take? you had that decision you're like right well I'm either just gonna give it give up now and spend the rest of my life in a wheelchair or actually I'm I'm making a conscious decision to do something about it and that's that's obviously led you down this incredible um path and and a career which has led on to Virgin Active which we'll come on to and and that that ability to see clearly that ability to make the decision that you know and we'll come back on to the the power of the mind and you helping people on their their own fitness journeys but when i say fitness i'm not just talking physical fitness i'm talking mental fitness as well yeah um and the power of realization that something is not impossible that actually there is something that you can aim for that is perfectly within your grasp Mm. i love that so thank you thank you for sharing um fast forward a, a few years we met in Santiago Airport of all places before we put through our put through our paces uh, and I mentioned in the the intro I'm I'm a, almost a hundred kilos you're you're about half I, you know I don't want to be sort of rude but yeah, know, no, that's a, a lady weight but you're about half yeah. that yet we yeah, were both lugging a, a 30 kilo pack up and down the Andes where did you find the strength to put in the, the shift that you that you did you know what the interesting thing about it was because it was that bergen that was heavy but also i had to lift rich who was my oppo who was 85 kilos and i remember when people go how did you do it and i think i don't know because i never consciously did that i just did it right and if someone was to have asked me pick up that 85 kilo box in normal life i'd have gone i can't pick up an 85 kilo box but i picked up an 85 kilo man and i think The reason I did it was 1 million percent nothing to do with my physical body. It was all my mindset because it is almost physically impossible that I did that and running up a mountain and running around a tree and all the things that we had to do. And I always found in there, I was the smallest and the lightest and like I literally was the smallest one in there. And I used to think to myself, and I remember when Ant pulled me in for interrogation and he was like, you're just small, you're just so small. And me being like, I remember saying to him, there's nothing I can do about that. I was like, I said, but I can go to the gym and get stronger, but people in there can't go to the gym and get my mindset. And like, that was one of the things for me in there was constantly I was battling between, I'm too small, I can't keep up, I'm never get scientifically, I can't do the same strides they're doing up this mountain, like with the same weight on my back. But mentally I knew I could. And that was what 
I was in there to fry from the mental side of it. I knew I could do all of that bit. The physical bit was the bit where I had to actually go, right, I've got to accept this is going to be bloody hard and just use my mindset because physically it was impossible, some of the stuff I had to do. But did, did that in a way come back to your, your tough love nurse? Is there, is there a similarity here in that she said, do this and you just did it without thinking about it? Yeah. There's something to be said with the mind. If you just sort of, you're able to cast things out of your mind that seem hard and just, just get on with them, you know, irrespective of whether you can or can't do it, you know, are we more likely to be able to to achieve these things if if we're not thinking about them? I think a lot of it is like, if you give your, if you give yourself time to think of excuses, then you won't do it. And a lot of like, things that you do and decisions you make you have to be reactive and go go and we learned that a lot in there didn't we it was Mm. you didn't have time to ask questions or when you were told to do something it's go you didn't have time to go yeah but and I think one thing that I've definitely like had my whole life is I don't yeah but and I don't I don't encourage people to yeah but if anything I tell people to stop yeah butting and yeah, but I'm smaller. Yeah, but I'm lighter. Yeah, but I'm slower. Yeah, but I haven't eaten enough. Yeah, but they've trained longer than me. Yeah, but the more you yeah, but the more you talk yourself out of doing something from a from a place of strength, you then start doing something from a place of insecurity. And when you do something from a place of insecurity, the odds are the outcome is going to be all over the shop. I, I find I find this fascinating because, as as you know, I do a lot of long distance running, and the the reaction that I get to, you know, running a, a hundred miles or whatever it is, is is that there's a sort of innate, instantaneous reaction from a lot of people that's that is, oh, I could never do that, right, without even thinking about it, yeah. and my response is, well, why not? You know, yeah. it, it's that precise thought process of that you know again that sort of built-in instantaneous negativity that holds us back from it might be a job promotion it might be better relations with your family it might be running 100 miles or hiking a 30 kilo bergen or an 85 kilo man up a up the chilean andes it doesn't matter what the situation is we we have this this um this very negative trait of of instant sort of instantaneously telling ourselves we can't Mm. do something and yeah butting you know lovely phrase yeah. yeah but yeah but rather than saying well actually I'm just going to crack on and do it without thinking about it yeah and I think a lot of the time like one 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 reason we don't want to do stuff is because like people are generally scared of failure and then the other reason is because that the yeah but thing is we yeah but to make ourselves feel better right so mm. we uh, in 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 the interim you're scared to do something fear of failure and then you back it up with a yeah but so you go you sort of go like oh I can't do that because xyz and then you'll go yeah but you can because you've trained longer than me so when people obviously see you do your running they go um oh I could never do that and then you go yeah you could yeah but you've been doing it longer so that's what and and we sort of counter to and fro isn't it yeah so you first put in your I can't because you, you're scared to. And then you add in your yeah, but to make your, you know, help your ego. You're, you're reinforcing like, somehow. You were sort of, you put that, there's that immediate negativity and then you even reinforce that negativity with an yeah. additional layer of why, there's a reason why I can't do it. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the yeah, you know, the yeah, but thing as well. People do the yeah, but thing quite a lot just in their daily life. Like, and what they do <laughs> is they put other people down who are doing, you know, good things because it makes them not feel, you know, as bad as what they're doing. And one of the things that I always live by, and I do it for myself, if I find myself maybe saying things about people to myself, you know, like, oh yeah, this and that about them, you know, I always think your perception of, your perception of me is a reflection of you. So like, if somebody was to, call me like oh she's just you know really annoying and loud and this your perception of me being annoying and loud is a reflection of something that you don't think you have in yourself so you'll get it a lot when it's like the opposites so someone who's introvert would call an extrovert annoying Mm. yeah and then someone who's introvert would call and someone who's extrovert might call an introvert boring 
and it's because it's it, their perception of it is a reflection of something they can't do themselves so an introvert is jealous that they're confident and loud it's not that they're annoying they're just jealous that and the opposite way around is an extrovert is jealous that an introvert can take time to themselves and be on their own and I think that's what people do a lot is the thing that stops people doing things is they, they think too much they think about failing then they think about the reasons why they're going to fail and then they 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 back it up and put people down to then go well I don't need to do that because I'm fine and they're weird mm. <laughs> for doing that it's a, a lovely lovely life lesson that we we all need to reflect better on our weaknesses yeah. as well as our as well as our strength uh, look at and, our asking the question sorry yeah no I was going to say asking the question that if you were to look at somebody or something and and you're negative about it flip it round and be like why am I being negative about it not why is that negative or that person negative or that person bad or that situation bad why do I feel this way and the minute, minute you flip it around you like you realize a lot about yourself rather than the problem's not necessarily what's in front of you it's what's in you I wonder if we we touch on on the app um, now because um, mm. you've, you've had a chance to use the app. You've downloaded eighty seven percent. You've done your assessment. Yeah. Was there was there anything that came out of it that enabled you to look at yourself? You know, sort of mm. self reflection, self awareness, and and think, okay, maybe I'm not as good at X as I could be. Maybe I could improve in Y. I'm excellent at Z, so yeah. that's fine but what, what you know did you take anything out of out of using the uh, or doing the assessment doing the measurement yeah like what came out of it for me was rather than like uh sections of it of areas that I could improve on or work on and things like that what came out of it for me was it came out um overall thriving and most of my my categories were thriving and the thing that really got me thinking James about it was of course I'm thriving of course I am because I'm choosing to and because I've got myself into a routine to thrive right now. Now, if I'd have taken that test at the beginning of lockdown, would I have come out thriving? Possibly not. However, what it did show me was that I find a way out of every situation to make sure I'm happy. Now, when I take that test, when we get out of lockdown, when we've been out for, say, a month, will I be thriving? Most likely not. But then when I take it, maybe six months later, will I be thriving? 100% I will put my life in it that I will be because I make the conscious choice too. And that's what I found really interesting about it. It's positive to know I'm thriving, but equally it stops me being agile because we need to be agile. I am thriving right now because I have my routine. We've been in lockdown long enough where I wake up, I do my workouts, I take my dog for a walk, I get my work done. There's nothing really in my life that's going to throw a curveball at me right now. However, the minute that we get let out, I've got more opportunities to have curveballs thrown at me from social situations, relationships, work, whatever it be, lack of sleep, things like that. I'm thriving right now because I've put myself into a routine that ensures I thrive. But we mustn't forget that life doesn't let you know when it's going to come and get you. It doesn't go, it doesn't send you a little text going, you're having a great time, but just so you know, on Tuesday next week at uh, 9.08, I'm going to come and ruin your life. <laughs> and um, so when, when the thing I found interesting about it was I would use that in a way when my life changes, when something in my life changes, when my routine changes, when I start a new job, when I meet a new person, when, whatever, to take that test mm. and use it in that way. Because you know, a lot of people maybe would have got thriving and gone, oh, cool, sweet, I'm done, I don't need to do anything. Oh, no, 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 I need to keep doing stuff to one, stay thriving, but two, like I said, be agile for the next chapter of my life. 100%. Thank you so much for saying that because that is, we, we recommend that people re-measure themselves every yeah. 60 days or so. I mean, yeah. it depends from person to person, but you're, you're absolutely right. And it, yeah. it's interesting actually, because some of the data that we're seeing coming out of the, the app and the platform um, at the moment is that people are experiencing anxiety, not about being in lockdown, but experiencing anxiety wow. about coming out of lockdown. A wow. year ago, we were, we were, we were anxious about, going into lockdown and, and yeah. having COVID around us. But a year, you know, we've now sort of transitioned, we've gone through that transition and we've, it's become normal. Yeah. Um, we are now 
leaving that and people are worried that going back to work will have a negative impact on their on their life they're worried about being in social situations again yeah. worrying about not being you know obviously people have had to spend time with their children and that's had its complications but people are now worrying about being absent and isolated from 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 their children so it's it's throwing out all of these different situations different impacts different ramifications so very important to um for sure and that's the thing about it is we are very adaptable but um you know we've adapted now to this and now we've got to come out the other side and this is where you can get complacent with your mental health is where you go one of the, the biggest things for me and maybe for other people is when my life's going well i don't really look after my mental health the minute my life starts going wrong i'm like oh my God, I need to meditate, I need to do yoga, I need to drink water, I need to stop doing this, I need to be in bed by 9.30. And it's like, hang on a minute, it's like, right now, I'm in a very happy place in my life, but it does not mean that I don't still get into bed at half nine or I don't, you know, drink my water every day and I don't exercise every day. A lot of what people do is they wait for the app to say that they're not thriving and go, how can I fix it? Now, now getting thriving is how can I maintain that? And again, how can I maintain it when I get out of lockdown? How can I maintain it if we go back in? How can I maintain it in all these different scenarios? And the reason people are feeling maybe anxious about leaving lockdown is because they've got set into this way we're in and like I said life wasn't going to text him saying on this date you will leave lockdown so start getting ready and that's why people have got complacent and then what they'll do is we'll come back out of lockdown and people will get complacent again and then something else could happen in their life and it's almost like you have to get ready to get ready to get ready all the time you can't just start working out when the doctor says you know your heart's not very good or your blood pressure's not very good you can't it's it's you've got to do it now always do it it's the same analogy as putting your seatbelt on after you've been in a car crash, isn't it? Right. Something exactly. like, you, know, you don't, you exercise physically in order to be fit and you yeah. do that so that you can go about your life better and feel better and exactly. your heart rate is lower and you can feel healthy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The same, unfortunately, is not the case for, for mental fitness. It should, it absolutely should be. Yeah. Most you know, what we see is that most mental health care in particular is reactive. It waits for an issue to occur rather than being preventative and giving people the tools to work on their mental fitness every day, just doing little exercises here and there, mindfulness, meditation, whatever it might be, reading appropriate materials um, in order to build resilience in advance of those texts that happen at, you know, arrive yeah. at nine o'clock saying your, your life's about to implode. Yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah, even, hugely important. It's even like when you look at like a car, like if you have a car, you like put petrol in it, you make sure it's got enough petrol, you make sure it's got oil, you get all these like signals that come up on your dashboard and you get a flat tire, you go fix it. And you do all of this stuff to maintain your car because you need it to get you through life. And you just think we don't do that with our, with our mind. Like we get triggers, you know, signals come up, things come up and we just go, oh, but you don't, you don't wait for your car to completely break down and like be busted before you fix it. The minute a light comes on the dashboard, you're like, I need to fix that. The minute you get a puncture, you're like, I need to fix that. You do, that that's literally like driving around a car that's got four punctures, no oil, no petrol, you know, like the roof's hanging off, the windows are smashed, you know, but, but if you was to look at how you maintain a car or, you know, anything in your life that you care about, like, you know, your mobile phone, for example, you, if you, your mobile phone stopped working, one element of it, you wouldn't go, oh, well, I'll just carry on with it. You've got to get it fixed because you need it. But we don't do that with our mental health. We wait till it like, you know, completely goes to pan to go right now, how do I get back on track? You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. It's, there's something sort of fundamentally wrong with the uh, with, with the process, isn't it? Isn't yeah. It? Um, let, I mean, let's go. We've talked about coming out of lockdown. Your fitness journey has has led to working with with Virgin Active, uh, yeah. writing role. Tell, tell us. Well, we're obviously coming out of lockdown. We hope in the near future. Yeah. Will be reopened. Tell us about your your role and the the work that you're doing with with Virgin. Yeah. So, like I said, I've all always always taught fitness because i'm all about you know wellness and mental health and mindset i've never been about like the body goals and things like that and um you know 
for, for me, it's, you know, people should move every day and you should be moving every day. And as a consequence of moving every day, you'll feel a little bit happier and you'll feel proactive and you'll feel motivated. And then you can, you know, your life can take that route. And um, so with this new role at Virgin Active, I'm basically just trying to educate the world that you don't just get physical benefits from exercise, you also get mental health benefits as well, but it's not as simple as that. It's trying, I'm trying to rewire how people use exercise and enter fitness. And by that, what I mean is rather than having a physical goal, let that be the byproduct of your workout and let your intention be something to do with helping you or a feeling that you can get out of it whether it be feel happier sleep better get more confident socialize um you know reduce anxiety all of these things i the equation should be that comes first what do i want feeling do i want out of it the exercise you do it the byproduct is your body but what we've done for years and years and years and years is we've made the first number one, the intention, the, the physical goal. Mm. But it doesn't make sense because you don't have to say the words, I want to lose weight before you go into a workout for it to trigger it and go, okay, they said the magic words, I want to lose weight, so we'll lose weight. If I entered a workout saying, I want to lose weight, and I did a 30-minute workout, I come out at the end of it, where I come out. If I entered a workout saying, I want to feel good, I do a 30 minute workout. I would equally join that goal of losing weight, but also feel good. So yeah. you win, you win doing the second option. If you go into every workout with physical intention, it's gonna take a while, right? It's gonna take weeks, months to see changes. Whereas if you make it a mental health decision, you're gonna notice it straight away. You're gonna feel the benefit straight away. So it's just about getting people to you know, work out for a, a, a better reason than how they're going to look. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we've, we've, we're in, you know, we're both on Instagram and, you know, we, we, we try and look good. And we've, we're unfortunately in that sort of society where, where that's what, what people see. And a lot of the, the thinking behind, I want to look good, I want yeah. to lose weight is, is so that, you know, we can be all chiseled and, and the rest of it. Whereas actually losing weight, it might make us feel happier you know you've got to think about the reason you know you are yeah. why do you want to exercise to lose weight well why do you want to lose weight you put the words out of my mouth it's that but yeah. why yeah why what why do you want to lose weight why do you want to have muscles why do you want a six-pack why do you want to be a certain dress size like what is the reason for it because actually if you find out that reason and you dissect it there's other ways of getting that same emotion that people are looking for without having to be that size shape whatever it is it's it's, I always say to people, weight loss, muscle gain, it's none of your business. It's, it's science's business. Mm. If, if for the, generally speaking, this is taking out, you know, disability illness. Generally speaking, if you exercise, eat well and sleep, you are going to get physical changes in your body. So it's none of your business. You don't even need to worry. Leave that to science and focus on you and your mental health and how you feel and what you want on it from that side and science would do its job. Then six months later, you'll look in the mirror and go, wow, I look amazing. And I wasn't even trying. And that is the bit that the, you know, that is the best moment when you say, I wasn't even trying and I look good. I was actually just focusing on me, how I feel and what I was getting out of it. And now my body looks how I wanted it to look. Wow. I love that. Such a powerful, such a powerful message. Um, I want, I want to come on to some, some quick fire, questions that we ask all of our guests is there anything anything else that you're working on at the moment that you'd like to like people to know about before before we do those yeah um I suppose just like my journey at Virgin Active I'm like putting you know hopefully will be you know the first gym that you can go to the doctor and get a prescription for Virgin Active that is my goal when I leave this world is that prescribed fitness is the goal um so yeah and then on my instagram i'm always doing various things at the moment i'm working on a 30 day challenge it's actually my final day tomorrow but it will stay on there and it's for all the people that say they hate working out i've given them 30 different exercise types over 30 days so you have 30 chances to find something that you love um, in 30 days and that will stay on my instagram so you can go on that and that's all for mine charity um and it's it's the campaign is move for mine so it's about moving to feel good and 30 different ways that you can do that so anyone when they say i don't feel very good and i say well why don't you work out and they say i hate exercise that's my answer go take the 30 day challenge and find something that you love so 
that's where I want everyone to go. You can't hate exercise. It makes you feel good. It is yeah. Pretty- you don't hate exercise. You either hate what you're doing, hate why you why you were doing it, or hate who you're doing it for. That's the only way you can hate exercise. So let, you need let's, to go let's on running quickly because we we both have, have done yeah. a, a little bit of it. You you did the London Marathon. Yeah. Um, we were both supposed to be going to. Sri Lanka yeah. at the beginning of lockdown that was that was that was cancelled right. ultra marathons in exotic destinations but um I mean why why running how does that keep you mentally fit running for me is nothing to do with the physical side of it and it never has been I run that's my form of meditation so anyone who says I hate meditation or I don't like ex- um, or don't like meditation it can come in the form of anything for me that is meditation being able to run and 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 just move and be with myself and the, the we've run in and I'll, I'll leave it on this one is when people ask me like why did you do these challenges why did you run across the Jordan desert why did you do SAS why did you climb Kilimanjaro why do you run marathons virtually with no crowd like why do you do it my answer always every time is because I can right now and one day anyone listening to this and anyone not listening to this one day we are all going to hit a point where we have to say no right and it could be because of age it could be because of illness it could be because of circumstance financial reasons whatever it be we are going to get put in a position one day where we say no and that no could be something like do you want to come for a run no I can't genuinely no I mean you can't do it while you can say yes say yes and right now I can say yes to a run so I will say yes to a run until I can't say yes anymore to a run and that's why running for me I I love that and I will still be saying yes to running even when I can't run I think yeah exactly (laughs) yeah no I I love love that um let's go do the quick fire um is there anything this is an absolute non-negotiable that you do regularly to help your mindset or improve your mood? Yeah, every morning I wake up and the first person that I check in with is myself in the mirror. And I say to myself, literally, I'm honestly, you're gonna find me crazy. I go to my mirror and I'll go, morning Ez, you all right? And then Ez will reply, yeah, I'm all right, I'm good, good, and I go, cool. And then sometimes Ez will go, I'm not really good today. And I'll go, okay, noted. So when we're in a meeting or when we're dealing with something, I remember that you did tell me this morning you weren't feeling great, so I've got you back. And that is my non-negotiable thing every morning is the first person I check in with is myself in the mirror. Not crazy at all. I, I love that. It's important <laughs> because, I mean, it's important self-reflection, understanding how we're feeling. And I mean, yeah. that comes back to the, comes back to the app, of, of course. Yeah. Um, what makes you good at what you do? Um... I would say, I would say my genuine passion for wanting other people to feel good. I don't believe anything I do in my work, I do for myself and in a positive way, not not in any other way other than everything I do and preach about and talk about is so that I hope at least one person can take something from it and feel good and I think that's what makes me good at what I do because a lot of what I do is selfless and a selfless act because I genuinely care rather than it never is what do I get out of this it's what do they get out of it and that goes back to like my 30-day challenge that I'm doing the 30-day challenge with with move for mine with mind charity was 30 days of something and I thought I could run 250 kilometers in 30 days or I could cycle X amount in 30 days. And the one question I asked myself was, but how does that help anyone's mental health other than yours? All I get at the end of it, and for some people, I recommend them they do those challenges, but I've already done things like that. All I get at the end of it is people going, well done you. How do I help people? And that is why I chose my 30 day challenge to be what can I give in 30 days to other people? And so, yeah, I suppose that's why I'm good at what I do because I genuinely want to do it for people, not for myself. Because you actually care. Beautiful. Um, what would you say to a young Esme? Just don't worry. Don't care. What, what, don't worry about the future. Don't care about the future. Be present. Enjoy these moments that you've got. And 
actually, I would tell younger Esme to make friends with herself a lot sooner than I did. From day one, I'd say you need to become best friends with you. Like your first priority is you, is your best mate. Then you can have your second best mate. Lovely. And <laughs> any ideas, people, things, places, books, uh, etc., that you've taken inspiration from recently? Oh, wow. Hmm. My inspiration, like, it's really hard because even when people say to me, like, who inspires you? I am inspired, like, daily and by just looking up, like, literally looking up. And I suppose, like, where I've got my recent inspiration from is from being present and taking things in around me. And I could get inspiration from someone who doesn't even realise they've made a connection with me. I could get inspiration from a shopkeeper or a passerby on the street. I get inspiration just from looking up, literally from my phone. You know, like I did, I did this thing once where I was like, every time you'd naturally go to take your phone out for no reason, you're not allowed to do it. You have to look up. So it could be, I remember I was like queuing in a queue for like whatever, like a shop. You get your phone out, waiting for a bus, get your phone out. You know, like all these moments that you're not getting it out because you need to ring someone or look at something every time you go to take your phone out for the wrong reason don't do it and look up and that's where i've been getting my inspiration from how funny i love that um really good to do yeah i actually it's a concept you know subconscious thing isn't it you sort of just yeah. do it reflex and... i actually wanted to like i remember i started writing notes about it in lockdown because i actually wanted to like write a blog or a book about like things i saw when i looked up and it had to be stories that came from a moment I usually would have looked at my phone, but didn't. And so, so many things happened. I saw things or I laughed at something or, and I thought, oh, I would have been looking at my phone in this time. I, 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 don't, I think that's, a, that's definitely got legs as a, as a book. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> and if people would like to get in touch, how can they, uh, how can they do that? So generally my Instagram is the place to go for anything I'm doing, any tips that I've got, any questions um, into my DMs, um, just because I, I use uh, my Instagram a lot for content in terms of like fitness stuff and, and ideas and motivational talks and things like that. So yeah, Esme underscore LDN. Thank you very much. Liz. It's, it's written on your jumper. Good energy. You have. Yeah. It's been an um check in say yes be present um so many you know life affirming messages and lessons to be to be taken from from the last hour or so i hope uh people take a huge amount of inspiration from it i'm sure they will it has been uh, a joy uh, to speak to you yes thank you so much for having me this is life happens brought to you by 87% a huge thanks to esme and I'm sure there's something we can all take from her positivity and advice on using our mindset to thrive, exercising to improve our mental health, or simply learning to check in with ourselves. If you enjoyed the interview, please hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. We have loads more great guests lined up for the podcast, so you won't want to miss those, as well as tips and exercises from our experts on the YouTube channel that will help you build positive mental health. Thank you.